Hey, this is Heath Paget, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode number nine. Welcome to today's show. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly show I launched to be a resource for anybody who is trying to build up a remote income while traveling full-time. For the past couple years, my wife Alyssa and I have lived, worked, and traveled in an RV and met so many non-retired people who do the exact same. They live this weird kind of life where they only own enough stuff that fits in one RV, they move around from place to place, and their business allows them to literally be anywhere in the country or the world. This podcast is different than most entrepreneur-related podcasts because the people I interview haven't launched multi-million dollar companies or have hundreds of employees. They're just normal people who have started businesses that allow them to travel full-time and live a lifestyle they choose. This podcast is also unlike most travel-related podcasts because we don't really discuss travel tips or destination ideas. It's more of an intersection between business travel and life on the road. It's a podcast for people who aren't just interested in a two-week vacation, but a long-term sort of travel lifestyle. It's also a podcast for people who are interested in still making an impact in their work, even though they don't have the traditional nine-to-five career. And then today's episode, we're going to be talking with a couple known as Technomadia in the RV world and how they've done exactly that. They've been on the road for the past 10 years and have built up an incredibly successful career by just about anyone's standards, nonetheless, somebody who lives in an RV full time. We also talk about perhaps the biggest misconception or fear towards this lifestyle, which is this idea that if you live in an RV and travel full time, you'll be a drain on society and not somebody who can actually contribute in an impactful way. Sheree and Chris have some really incredible insight into this, and I'm excited for you to hear it. But before we get into the show, I want to thank today's sponsor, WinnebagoLife.com. Every month, a team of RV bloggers publish consistent content on a Winnebago Life that features articles on travel gear, inspiration, and tips from people who have traveled all over the country in an RV. Winnebago Life is working to become the number one RV lifestyle blog on the internet and a resource you must check out if you're already living in an RV or considering it. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am so excited to be interviewing one of the most fascinating couples I've ever met in my life. They live in a converted 1961 vintage bus and run the extremely popular blog called Technomadia. They've been working on the road for the past 10 years, and this is me quoting them from their blog. They are technology and strategy advisors, app developers, and authors sucking up mobile internet bandwidth. They recently released the 2016 version of their mobile internet handbook, which is the resource if you're looking to stay connected on the road. They literally have written the book on just getting connected to Wi-Fi, which is a huge problem for RVers, especially if you've been listening to this podcast, we've had some issues. And they've also been startup advisors to a couple different tech companies in the RV space, like RV Village and Escapers. RV Village is a social network for RVers that boasts over 42,000 members. And Escapers is an organization that launched in the past year from escapees geared towards supporting the non-retired RVers who are working from the road. And in this first year, has already over 2,000 members. Chris and Shree, thank you guys so much for being on the show. We're thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us, Heath. And you guys are actually in Austin right now, where we met. Was it almost a year ago or something like that? It was last April when we were last through Austin. And uh, yeah, we had you over to our place here at uh, McKinney Falls and met you here. And we're parked right next door. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Well, I know so many people who are listening already know y'all's story, how you guys met and how long you've been on the road. But if you're talking with someone who is not, you know, me drinking a beer outside your bus, how would you tell your story for somebody that you were just meeting, you know, in a social situation and describe the way you guys decided to live your life? Oh, the the kind of quick in a nutshell version of that is um, uh, over, I guess, 10 years-ish ago, uh, I decided I'd been had a career in Silicon Valley and I just wanted to get out of there. And, um, you know, I've always had wanted to live on the road and live in a very tiny RV. Um, so I set off from San Francisco in a tiny, tiny, tiny clamshell trailer, a 16 foot trailer with put solar power on it and all the, the tech stuff, but it didn't have plumbing, didn't have any of the air conditioning, didn't have any of that fancy stuff who needs it. Uh, last thing I expected heading out, heading out from my, I was thinking a year or two of adventure was to meet somebody on the road. And then to my surprise, I met Sheree my first year. And yeah, I met him just a couple months later. We met on a Prius forum because we both had owned Prius hybrid cars. And I was living in Florida, running a software development business remotely from my house. And I was doing personal travel and working remotely from wherever I was at. But my home base was Florida. And so when I met Chris and we fell in love and just really realized that our lives were aligned, it wasn't that big of a leap for me to sell my house and move into his little mobile house. Now, the, the, no bathroom thing, the no air conditioning thing, that was all new relationship energy that fueled yeah. that. But we got over that in the first year and upgraded to a real yeah. RV with, with bathroom and, and yeah. air conditioning. So, and, and then a few years later, we did a, now we've got a, an amazing vintage bus that we've converted and restored and teched out and done amazing upgrades too. Which is the everything that I envy in life is your bus and your se- and your work setup. It's it is amazing. That was the big impetus for us for moving from small travel trailers to something larger. We didn't want a big motorhome, but we kind of had to go that way when we started working more hours and our backs were getting so sore, hunched over on laptops, <laughs> and sitting in dinettes and the typical RVer space that the manufacturers create for us. So that's why we went with a vintage bus where we would have some control over being able to re-modify everything and uh, built in a, a dedicated workspace. And we have like real office chairs. Yes, and big desktop monitors, and it's a wonderful workspace. Yeah, I, I'm actually trying to figure out the, the work situation right now. I'm trying to figure out how to get a stand-up desk because we just recently upgraded in. It's great because we both have a working space that is you know, is our own now, but I'm still kind of hunched over and things like that. I'm in the passenger seat, which is great because it's got the cute little fold-over thing, but I would much rather be standing up a significant part of the day than, than hunched over, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you guys met on a Prius forum. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. Something that I was reading on y'all's blog is that you said that we see a lot of nomads give up this lifestyle within the first year or two because balance is so hard to find. Uh, they either exhaust themselves trying to do it all or they run out of funding because they never struck the balance. What enabled you guys to get past this one or two year rough spot? And what did that look like for y'all? It definitely was a rough stop. Um, we came off our first trial year. We had done 13,000 miles around the country in seven months uh, as a trial to make sure that we were compatible. We were dating during all this time. So we had that stress of a new relationship. And plus trying to get all these miles in and trying to meet all these milestones. Like Chris was best man in a wedding across country that we had to be there. And we got back exhausted and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back on the road or not. And we decided to go ahead and give it a try again. And we exhausted ourselves again in that first year, I think. <laughs> I, we exhaust ourselves every year. The, the balance is, is that one of the, the lessons with balance is that you will never find it. It's just a constant calibration. And the RVing lifestyle isn't for everyone, but you know, people are always making excuses. So the, the some, same people might have trouble finding balance in a regular job. There's how much time they're spending 
on commuting and living their life and you know doing all the suburban things too. So it's it's a quest that never ends is finding the ideal work life balance for anyone. And yeah, for us it's we suck at life work balance. <laughs> yes. We're both workaholics. We we both love what we do and we immerse ourselves in it. You know, we set out to rewrite a book and we end up, you know, updating a book and we end up rewriting it just because we're perfectionists. We want to deliver a quality product. We get involved in these amazing experiences and these amazing jobs that we get um, an opportunity to work on like launching our village and escapers and they just speak to our soul and they, they they're things that we want to bring to the world yeah. so we put ourselves all in and then we end up exhausted and we go on to the next project and so this year for us we're learning to say no to new projects yes. and just concentrate on the things that we want to do and that, that has been the biggest biggest thing we're trying to really master is saying no to even things that really excite us it's like no we, we can't do it all we really 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 can't do it all which is good <laughs> yeah i think there's this allure and you mentioned this sheree on the blog just that there's this allure with people who are looking at the nomadic lifestyle and they see people doing yoga on mountaintops just drinking like their coffee how did it stay hot on the way up there i don't know but just like all this crazy stuff, you know, I think it's partly induced by Instagram, but it's not necessarily <laughs> like that. I mean, you guys work your ass off, you know, I mean, you work really, really hard and you're not out traveling. You do go on adventures, but is that the biggest misconception you would say about the lifestyle that you guys have? Uh, we try to keep it real on our blog. So those that are reading our blog posts and or tuning into our own uh, live video casts that we do, and we try to talk very honestly about how difficult it is and how burnt out that we get at times. And, uh, and, and have to take a break from blogging because for us, blogging is just a personal hobby. That's what we were doing before we hit the road. So a lot of people think Technomadia is our work and it's not. It's just where we share our personal side. And uh, we try to keep it real. But you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, you go everywhere else. People are just showing the pretty and, pictures. And that's what when you're looking at the lifestyle, that's what you see. And they, even, even if people are sharing the not so pretty, all you all you see is what excites you. And and there are indeed amazing, incredible days where you are the equivalent of ha having a yoga on a mountaintop or you know hiking up a you know taking a mid afternoon hike and then having like a hot air balloon rise right in front of you as you crest a mountain and you know like there's there's magic out there and there's a lot of magic in this lifestyle and a lot of amazing experiences a lot of amazing people it's just it's all about balance you know some some days you're sitting inside grueling right way working and other days you're you know able to take the flexibility and say no I'm blowing everything off it's beautiful outside I'm gonna make this a hiking day instead of or a working day. Or we're gonna go kayaking yeah. or you know we're gonna go meet these blog readers that read that wrote us and we're mm -hmm. gonna go have an amazing social experience and see a place through a local's eyes or whatever the, the adventure for today is and it's not too much unlike our lives when we were stationary, except for our views are always changing and w our extracurricular activities change based upon what our location is. And, and this lifestyle has so much flexibility, too, that we could choose some days to like we're going to play during the day and we're going to work late at night. And that actually fits our personal rhythms pretty well, too, sometimes. How do you guys approach new projects that are coming in now? How do you decide which ones you bring on and which ones you don't? Uh, well, right now we're not accepting projects. So that, that makes that one easy. Um, but when we were considering things like our village and escapers, it's is this something that helps other people? Is it something that brings value and beauty to the world? And that's always been my motive in my work life is, yes, there are a ton of ways I can make an income. I, we're gifted people. We can generate income as any way we want. And that's a skill. Yeah. We all can. We all have that skill set. But how can I want to make sure that the time that I'm spending working is benefiting 
someone else living yeah. a quality life. Yeah, we, we, we've done projects in the past that were, were actually very lucrative, but it's like advising a company on how to sue somebody else over a patent. And you just don't feel great about the time and effort you put into that, even if they're paying you really well for that sort of project. And you're like, you know, we really don't want to take projects on like that. So we started phasing away from those. And now we've reached the point where, where we're like, even if your project is inspiring us, like our village and escapers, now we're like, we love you. We'll help connect you with other people to do this, and we'll still make connections. We'll do it for free from the side. We'll and, advise you when you have questions and but, things like that. But we have to. We're making a conscious choice this year, uh, focusing to, only on our own projects. So right now, we're, any projects are ones that we're creating. We, we're going. We're concentrating on being creators this year, and uh, just focusing on the things that we've done ourselves and trying to. Just uh, have more time to ourselves to to make more pretty Instagram photos. <laughs> yes, that's a- that is awesome. I love it. <laughs> you know, I I love that you guys do. You know, keep it real with people because I think that even though the hot air balloon rides and you know, which I still haven't got to do yet, uh, only on a string, but not where they actually go up in the air uh, without the strings. But you know, that's what draws us in. Um, but it, I think it is important to paint that realistic expectation for people as well. So moving forward, I think there might inherently be this fear if somebody's looking at what we're doing, traveling and living in an RV, that if they give up the conventional career in an office setting, that they can't be successful in this kind of lifestyle, whatever that means to them, whether that means making money or feeling important or making an impact. What would you tell somebody who is having those thoughts and fears? And, and this is a, a two-part question that I started asking on the last one, but what does success look like for for you guys in this lifestyle? Success for us is, um, I mean, when I, when we first hit the road, the way I looked at it is the worst case scenario is we stopped somewhere and we both took temporary jobs at Taco Bell. And if that was the worst case scenario, <laughs> that wasn't so bad. For me, success is not having to dip into savings for our uh, normal monthly expenses and uh, being able to put away for retirement and feel that we could take um, time off if we wanted to. And that we're, we're creating things that help the world, that better the world in some way. I think our new definition of success is also that we have time for ourselves. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Well, I, I agree with that. And just you know, some of what, what makes this lifestyle so great is that you, you can kind of decouple yourself from the, I need to make X amount each month just to handle the baseline bills because you, can, you have so much control over the baseline based on where you're staying and how much you're traveling. And you know, you're, if you need to dial back your expenses to to during a particular month, you you drive less, and we've got that incredible flexibility here. So we're not feeling ever driven to like we need to focus on making as much money as possible because we control our costs and just live in abundance mostly. Yeah, I think living from abundance instead of scarcity. I think that's one of the biggest mind shifts. That even if you're not going mobile, is life changing is when you look at what you have instead of what you don't have and you just frame everything that way it's like okay well i don't have enough money to buy a motorhome well what do you have what do you have in your life you have skills you have adventures you have a, a great spirit you know and once i was learned to divorce myself from the concept of i have to have everything i have to have the look of what success is in our society and instead of judging myself by, oh, I don't have the latest television, I don't have the latest model of a car, I don't have all this other stuff that defines success for so many. It's like, no, what do I have? And once I made that change. Yeah. And once you start thinking things through different lenses you're of like not trying to get your dream $200,000 motorhome and you're like, oh, well, maybe I can think differently and find a whole other ways to pursue the lifestyle you want um, at a, a, you know, going through different doors, paying much cheaper costs. 
there's amazing, amazing deals to be had to live on the road. Totally. How long do you think that once you jumped into living in an RV and traveling full time, that how long did this mindset take for you? And I'm sure there are people who live in the non-RV world that have this abundance mindset. Would you say that the majority of people do have this kind of fixed mindset when it comes to looking at what they don't have? I think that's the default in our society, and that's kind of how we're taught as consumers in our society to achieve, is to get more, to fill fill in those blanks. Um, And scarcity, that scarcity mindset, I think, is so prevalent. And um, I wasn't introduced to the concept. It was on our first year on the road or second year on the road that we, because we actually found a community in San Francisco when we were visiting called the Abundance League. And uh, we actually started hanging out with them. And and, they did like weekly or monthly. Yeah, we hung out in San Francisco for a little bit and we went to some of their talks. And um, it, it, and then once the, the idea was there in my mind, I think it took at least another couple of years for it to really, really shift. And it's still, I can't say I live in it 100%. Um, but most of the time, we're able to frame things that way. That's a beautiful mindset. I love that so much. This is kind of a, a big overarching question and totally not on the same subject. But because <laughs> you guys have, and I kind of jump around a little bit, what do you guys feel is the biggest problem inside of the RV community slash industry that could be solved by technology? And I ask this because you guys have been working in technology for so long and Uh, It's inherently an industry that is lagging behind, you know, a little bit. You guys know that. And you've done a lot personally, more than just about anyone to help improve that. But what would you say looking at this industry as a whole in this community? What problem could be best served by technology? Um, I I would love to see the industry embrace off-grid designs and and embrace more tech-centric RV designs um, that are less based upon pole to pole RV camping, like going from RV park to RV park with hookups right. is uh, more integrated high tech into the coaches themselves. Um, you yeah. know, desk spaces. I mean, yes. that's huge. I think for especially our generations that are hitting the road, but even retirees are changing when, when people are now retiring in their fifties, sixties and seventies, they're now retiring with technology and they still want to be able to sit down with a laptop and maybe even blog about their adventures for the day or Instagram mm-hmm. or even just do their banking. I mean, yeah. so much has changed since the RV industry, you know, really hit a stride. Um, yeah, you know, desk space, I think is very yeah. important. Yeah. There, there's so many things that you, that people can retrofit in, um, but the industry completely ignores. So the, there's no, nobody is providing really great solar or lithium or desks or, um, USB energy, ports <laughs> or USB charging ports that you know, you know 12 volt power things that don't require having a generator running. Um, and then just it, you know, designing the RVs with, with connectivity in mind, you know, building in the maybe ethernet and, uh, um, cell phone boosters and Wi-Fi on the roof, having all that pre-wired and pre-integrated would be wonderful for the industry to embrace and like to build new RVs that are catering to the, a new generation. Oh, and self-driving RVs. And then I'm very <laughs> excited. This is, this is just, you know, there, we're, we're about to have self-driving cars. Just imagine if you had a self-driving RV, you press a button, say, hey, take me to this campground. I'm in spot 33. Wake me up when we're parked and, um, you know, go back, make a sandwich, take a nap and you wake up and you're there. How amazing would that kind of RVing be? And it's and it's part and it's a hybrid, right? Yeah. 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 Let's just go all out here. Let's just, you know, (laughs) let's make them space. uh, Then you you plug into your 50 amp spot and you're like, okay, my RV says it'll be charged in three days. You're like, okay, we'll stay here three days. You suck up all that juice and then we're going to drive to the next spot. You know, we can can dream for a minute because, you know, everyone is just thinking the same thing. We're all just waiting on Elon Musk to get the battery juice going up enough to power, you know, some class B RVs. 
But, you know, how cheap would you be able to live? You know, being able to do a cross-country trip, Alyssa and I, we went to 48 states. It was like a little over six grand for gas to go to our all 48 states in our rig. And, you know, being able to do that with a hybrid RV, you know, I know we're talking years and we're just like talking about spaceship type stuff right now, but we can dream. Yeah, we can oh. dream. But when you think about it, $6,000 to travel the entire country is actually pretty darn cheap, especially compared to buying a hybrid RV, which will probably go for at least a million. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I've actually priced out the, the current cost of the batteries that would a, a small RV would need for being electrically driven would be around $250,000 just for the batteries, not counting the motors, anything else. So so there's still you, you're not you, doing it for cost savings. You're yeah. doing it for geek points, which, yes. you know, those are very <laughs> valuable. But <laughs> so you've you've actually put some time and thought into writing some of this down chris oh yeah yeah i i, I think this through it's like you know, i i'm then there's actually been one company that built a kind of a demo electric rv i think uh, i saw that in california yeah. in la it was a, a, i think it was put together by balcon they did it and like drove around california a little bit and i think they actually took it to china because it was a chinese company behind the scenes but it was just mostly to show off their electric drivetrain for trucks um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of batteries, but, you know, give that a few more years and it starts to get really interesting because that, that, that is on the, um, hockey stick curve right now of development around electric vehicles. So things will be improving vastly fast. So what we can do is just for a statement, get this RV, cause you know, it's just sitting somewhere in a warehouse, get this RV <laughs> and we'll try to break a Guinness book of world records for the cheapest 49 state road trip. That would be really freaking cool. Right. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, we'll let that we'll let that simmer. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> um, what are the the dynamics of you two as a team? Alyssa and I we we both work together on projects um, creatively on our blogs uh, with clients. You know, we do everything as a team. And Alyssa is very much the type A personality. Uh, I'm very much the dreamer. But we both kind of mesh together. You know, what does that look like for you guys? Oh, we we mesh incredibly well and very complementary skills so like Sheree is the most productive person i've ever met she cranks stuff out she's fast that's not necessarily do it well well she does it well but, <laughs> oh you but, do you do but 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 then then what i do is i go really really deep and i nail the research and you know take things sometimes to their extreme of becoming like the really in-depth deep expert on a particular project or topic and you know sometimes i'll also then sit and polish things over and over and over again until she rips them away and say that's enough it's done we got to send this <laughs> off so you know it's like between her fast and efficient and me thorough and deep we've got an incredible combination of skills yes. and, and i tend also because i was a project manager and a software developer and i know the scale of projects and what it takes to get something from breaking the back of it to completion and delivered um, is I'm really good at keeping a timeline and keeping things on track and, and finding that balance between it being good enough and perfect. And it needs to be somewhere in between. It can't be either. And what we do, like our workflow is Chris is fantastic at working overnight. And I like to work in the mornings. So when we're on a big project, we're usually working nine to five. This is not like nine to five, like nine in the morning to five in the afternoon. This is nine in the morning till 5 a.m. And we'll do this by just doing continual shifts. So Chris will work until about 5 a.m. in the morning. We'll oh. both get some cuddle time. I'll get up in the morning, start my work day around 9 a.m. I'll work until the afternoon when he wakes up, and then we'll get some time together. 
to kind of co uh, mingle on the project <laughs> together. And then I'll shift into night mode, go to sleep. And then we repeat and we'll do yeah. that for two or three weeks in a row. We'll drive ourselves crazy. We'll yeah. be insane at the end of it, but the project gets done. And, and our goal now is to not need to do that yes. anymore because we're, we're like, you know, why are we really burning ourselves out so hardcore on these big projects? And it's it is hurting our health, and our you know we're we're spending a month doing something great, but then we're completely exhausted. And maybe we should try and dial it back. And we're going to, to see if we can do that. See <laughs> if we can restrain ourselves. That's our big challenge because we really get excited and we get really dive into these. Like, and I love to work all night and she loves to crank all day. And it's like, okay, we got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that. I don't, I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but for me, and, and maybe it's just because I'm young or, or whatever, but whenever I feel like I, I have to give myself permission sometimes to just go outside and enjoy this, this lifestyle, you know, we're parked at a friend's house in East Nashville right now. He's got this big, amazing, beautiful, green, luscious yard. And, you know, I've been sitting inside, even though it was sunny in 75 a couple of days ago and, uh, you know, just cranking away because I tell myself that I'm just like, I have to get enough work done. That's the only way that I can keep living this kind of life. And I, I don't know. I struggle. I really honestly struggle with giving myself permission to just enjoy the things that are around me. Is that something that you guys, I mean, you obviously, I don't know if you struggle with that or it's just like you love what you're doing so much that you get so involved in it. It, we, it, it is a struggle. And I think you know, for me, it came about when I first announced to friends and family and business colleagues that we were, that I was hitting the road, especially in this small travel trailer. There's such this perception that if you're hitting the road as a nomad, that you're doing it, um, you're scaling back you're your slacker. life. Yeah. You're, you're going to be a slacker. You're going to be a drain on society. You're going to be living, mooching everywhere. I was afraid of being perceived as a moocher, as a taker. And I'm a giver. And I was so afraid of being perceived as someone who was dropping out of society and moving, you know, it's going to be trying to work the welfare system yeah. or Medicaid or, or social handouts. And it's like, I thought I had something to prove that being a nomad, you could also be a career person and be successful and be perceived as someone who get, still a contributive member of society. And I think we, have overdone it yeah. <laughs> trying to prove that. And, and plus we're also just inspired because we're workaholics. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, it is sometimes really hard to give yourself permission to say, Hey, you know, I'm at the grand Canyon. Why am I not out like hiking the grand Canyon? And why am I sitting inside the campground working nonstop? And you just got, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to slap ourselves saying, seriously, the project can go, but be delayed two or three days and enjoy where you're at and the beautiful weather. And then, you know, maybe particularly actually sometimes we have to really be smart about, Go out and enjoy things during the week when they're not crowded. And then when everybody's out doing their campground things on the weekend, we just hold up inside and catch up on work then. Um, but it, it's hard. And, and, and particularly, Sharice got a really hard time going out to do fun things when there's still stuff on the to-do list that hasn't been checked. She's a checkaholic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, yes. I understand. Alyssa's a checkaholic, too. We actually had to have this conversation because right after we moved into the RV, you know, we'd be going to bed and almost about to fall asleep. And she would pop up and she would say, hey, we forgot to do this on our on our, on our our balance sheeters. I don't know. Whatever. And I'm just like, seriously? <laughs> now I'm not going to sleep for an hour. Turn on Netflix. No, you know, just like stuff like that. Um, but the fact that you guys have kind of defied, I don't want to say defied the odds, because I think that so many people can go out and achieve this lifestyle, more people than 
uh, they can ima- then imagine. And I know for me personally, because I wasn't working remote, it, it just in college, this wasn't anything that was ever presented to me as a viable option. Exactly. And I wonder in the future, if as technology and internet and remote jobs are becoming more of the norm, because they're just so accessible. So many people are becoming part-time freelancers and things like that. Do you guys see this becoming even more of a big movement? And is that part of the reason why you guys got involved with escapers? It is definitely a huge movement. I mean, when we hit the road back in 2006, finding someone who was our age on the road, and we were in our early 30s then, is they were usually on vacation or on yeah. some sort of gap break. It took us two years before we met our first person who was in our same generation who was working as they were being a full-time right. RVer. And since then, um, we have seen more and more people hit the road. It's almost impossible for us to go to a campground and not be met by someone who has hit the road in the last couple of years, precisely because they saw someone online doing what doing this, whether it's the winds, it's us, it's wheeling it or any of the other amazing bloggers who are on the road now too. It's like once, once people have their eyes open that this is a possibility, it really kind of connects with people and it might take them like three or five years to, to rearrange their life or to have something that catalyzes them getting out the door. But that having that seed planted is, is huge and the ripples just keep going and going. I think it's going to go further and further. You know, I actually, I got really fortunate way back when I was in college in uh, like 94, um, we I, I met a guy named Steve Roberts who was he's the guy who coined the word technomad and he was traveling across the country on a geeked out computerized bicycle but he was writing <laughs> about it and he had satellite uplink on his bicycle and solar power and everything else with 90s era technology and he was writing a book about how technology makes it possible for you to literally take it with you you could still work and you could still be connected to your so- social friends and family and everything else and he was such a huge pioneer but that idea planted in my head and it's like from that moment on I was like I'm doing this someday and you know it was 10 years later that it you know my yeah. life came to the point of like I'm in the right place I've got the right every everything is in place I'm not going to go get another regular job I'm just hitting the road and I, I can find a way to make it work and take it with me. Now, it's easy to find inspiration of that this is possible. And so people can start thinking it through. And I expect yeah, this yeah, trend it, to continue. You know, and there's going to be a trend probably in three or four years of breaking back into a cubicle <laughs> because it's going to become <laughs> so popular to be a nomad and be traveling and working that people are going to be like, well, wait a minute. There's the cubicle thing was like, oh, I doubt that. But. <laughs> it's so funny to hear that 10 years ago, it took you guys two years to find people who were doing this because now. From from my perspective, it's like I see so many and just jumping into it, not even really considering the fact that 10 years ago, this was revolutionary to be able to work on the road. It just shows how far we've come in that short amount of time. It's just it's just wild. And it is crazy. Now, people have worked on the road like for decades, for for hundreds of years. It's it, the nomadic lifestyle is nothing new. What's new is that technology jobs now enable so many more things to be done remotely and still have a career at it. And, and not and social networks and technology social networks have enabled people to stay connected as they do this. And that has been the huge thing. So you can connect with people like we're doing right now over Skype and all these great meetups and, and things coming together happen planned on Facebook, planned on Instagram, planned on our village. It's, it's so much easier now just to be out and still be connected. We, we meet so many people now who literally they're in their first day or two of hitting the road and they're out there meeting the people that inspired them. And, you know, we, we've been fortunate to be some of those people sometimes. And, you know, it's like, it was like there was no 
mechanism really back in 2006 to find others to find others i mean yeah. you could go search blogs and there were a couple of them out there but you know usually the two or three people that you might be able to find online they're always across the country from you and okay. it might take a long time until you found them yeah. and a lot of people weren't blogging social media wasn't as prevalent as it is today i mean twitter and facebook and things like that were infants or probably just newborns yeah. then mm-hmm. um, i think we did hit the road with a twitter account but it was yeah. there was hardly anyone on it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you guys probably have more people in our village than they had on Twitter at that point. Uh, actually, when we hit the road, there was no Twitter. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It was, it was like, um, a world without Twitter. Definitely, fa- no, and, in, definitely no Instagram. And Facebook, I think, was still – you had to have a college address at the time. And, and uh, yeah, it was it – was, uh, all this stuff has happened since. It is so much easier to be connected now. What would you say is something that you potentially give up or gain whenever you make the transition from living in a sticks and bricks house or apartment – into living and working on the road? I think it's community and the way in which you have to approach it. When you live stationary somewhere, you have the same friends that you see maybe once a month, maybe once a week. You have people that you know you can just text and say, hey, you want to go to a movie tonight or you want to get together and, and game or, you know, or I've made some extra food. You want to come over and have dessert or yeah. whatever. Weekly poker nights, uh, uh, every weekend bike rides, all these sort of things that you can kind of get into a rhythm with are very hard to be when you're in the road. Because you're constantly meeting new people. You're constantly having the same introductory conversation of like, oh, what inspired you to hit the road yes. sort of <laughs> things when you meet other nomads or you meet blog readers who are, you know, they know everything about you, but you know nothing about them. So you kind of have to bridge that gap. Um, and then, you know, you put that time and effort. You might be with those people for an evening like we were with you guys last year when we met you here at McKinney Falls. Or you might be parked next to them for a week or two getting to know each other. And then you go your own ways. And it might be six months, two years before you see those same people again. And you've only kept on touch on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, it's that ebb and flow. And yes, when you get back together with those people, it's a deep, rich connection. But you don't have that continuity of the same people. And uh, sometimes that's tough. Yeah, it, it is very tough. And there's times where we're like, hmm, maybe it would be good to, to settle down in one place for several months and just immerse ourselves back into that. But it's hard to find that on the road. And, um, you know, it's either you're in a caravan with the same people and you're having to make choices about your route. And that to me is incongruous with being nomadic because we're all out here because we're independent minded and (laughs) on our own path. So the very thing that attracts me to some of our closest friends is the very thing that keeps us apart. Yeah, that's so interesting. And we've been doing this for two years. And the week after next, we're having our first time ever to meet up with friends at an RV park in an RV that we've actually planned out. And I'm so excited because we have met up once in Austin and we're hanging out, but we weren't, we didn't have our RVs parked. So we're going to be staying at Hot Springs National Park. And I'm geeking out, excited about the fact that we're going to be hanging out with somebody who is our age and they're in their 20s and they live in an RV. And we're going to have so much to talk about. We, we know that feeling exactly. And, 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 and once you get a few kind of like really close nomad friends we love that we've got some friends that we've seen now in dozens of different states and it then it's it that, that kind of starts to have a different kind of rhythm of like we might be apart for three months but then we get together where we park we're neighbors out in the boonies for a few weeks we might caravan for a couple months together yeah. 
And and so it's like you have these great neighbors, and then you go off and have separate adventures, and you come back and you can be neighbors again with just a snap of the fingers, and and it's really kind of cool. Yeah, but it's also you know when it's, you know it's like tough. it's <laughs> tough. Like we just left some dear friends who they're going up the west coast this year, we're going up the east coast. We won't see each other until next fall when we meet up, hopefully in the middle of the country. But you know, it's like oh my gosh, we're going to be apart for for eight months, and you know, it's like we're going to go have all these separate adventures and be envious of each other's adventures as we share on social media and. And then as easy as social media makes it to share, it does keep things at a often at a very surface, high level, you know, you know, it's just a snapshot type sharing. And, and, you, and you miss that depth, that mm-hmm. depth of stuff, unless you take that extra step. And, you know, when we're all out here meeting new people and connecting with new people, you don't always have the time and energy to also keep in touch at the depth with your existing friends. And you, know, you might not be able to reach out and say, you know, I'm really I, I noticed on your social media that you're. You're using different language, and if you want to talk about it, you just yeah. always don't always have that time or the, the ways in which you connect online aren't necessarily ideal for having those depths of conversation. Yep. And you almost miss – and you almost don't even realize it until you are hanging out in person, right. and you're realizing, wow, this is 100% not the same as staying uh, – you know, seeing their Facebook status and liking it or even loving it now that you can do that. But we're hanging out, and we're having this good conversation, and we can hug them and it, you know have a drink with them, and it's just mm-hmm. – it's so different. You go deeper you might hear like oh i had a tough day today when the engine broke down it's like oh wait a minute all that else was going on in your life you know you were dealing with job insecurity maybe an ill parent or or this and that and it's just those depths of things that you don't have that continuity of sharing with the same people absolutely if somebody is listening to this or they've seen y'all's blog and they think you know i would love to be able to make that transition and live on the road and i know at this point you guys have been doing it for so long that you probably forget what you know just because you've come so far. And there's so many things that somebody would just love to have knowledge-wise that's just getting started that you guys have not even thought about because you're so used to talking to fellow RVers and not having those, you know, I guess, beginner-type conversations, which I'm sure you probably do have via email and things like that. But if somebody's looking to make this transition and they're not really sure, hey, what could I be doing to generate an income while traveling? What would you, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, finding your own unique balance between your passions and your skill sets um, is really what it comes down to is there's, there's so many ways to make an income on the road. The, the ideas are, they're endless. And it, we, we've asked people, you know, we do get lots of emails. We, we host every month a uh, Q&A video chat session where we take better, beginner questions. We're constantly meeting people. We've got an online ebook of No Excuses Go Nomadic that has a lot of you know, kind of all the, the beginner conversations we've had with people. From income, from uh, safety, community, uh, healthcare on the road, getting your mail, all the basic logistical questions that we've fielded. So we just have a free blog series called No Excuses Go Nomadic. It goes over 15 of those top topics. But for earning an income, it really comes down to is don't try to copy what someone else has done. We're nomads. That means we have, we, we're all unique. We all have these things that inspire us to get on the road. And don't be afraid just because someone's not doing what you think you might want to be doing on the road to earn an income. That just means that there's a niche to fill. Yeah. <laughs> And and also so many people try to find to optimize for making the most possible money, and that's usually not the optimal point for happiness. And so just for other nomads who are trying to find out what's going to work for them, find the things that actually inspires you to work and and that you can enjoy and still earn an income, but not necessarily try to you know maximize everything just to squeeze every final little little drop because you've got more control over your costs. So. There's no need to do that. Yeah, I love that. What you guys said earlier is not something I've really heard communicated enough 
to people who are thinking about this lifestyle or just getting into it. It's, it's the crazy fact that we can control our bottom line, we can control, I don't know, do people refer to co- expenses as bottom line? Usually that's profit. <laughs> what I mean is we can control expenses. You know, you guys can go out and boondock for a couple of weeks if you feel like your expenses are a little bit high this month, finding a great place in the desert or in the mountains to, to not have to pay for parking. Whereas if you have an apartment or a mortgage, you don't have that option. Yeah. And here you can you can go, if you're set up for boondocking, now we love boondocking, not because it saves us money, but because they're the priceless spots, experience. Yeah. They're usually the best spots. But you can also go work camp. You can go find campgrounds to volunteer at some of your time and get your spot for free. Just mm. don't drive so many miles. There's so many ways you can control yeah. your costs on the road. And then the monthly spots, if you go into, you know, basically into a trailer park in an urban area, you can get a good location for just a few hundred dollars a month. And you might not be at a, a scenic, beautiful state park, but you're you're covered for a month and um, you're actually probably well located to get a part time job if you need it. So there's so many ways to to control you both get a little extra income when you need it and dial your expenses down when you don't that you know, because people have a lot more flexibility to find what they really works for them and what they enjoy as opposed to rushing and trying to live hand to mouth. Yeah, I totally agree. And something else I was reading on y'all's website, you were talking about how during uh, if you haven't quite figured out how you're going to be making an income while traveling during that first year, you have to really be conscious of do you have enough financial runway in order to go out and experiment and try to come up with different ways of making an income. And for us, that was kind of our scenario. And I'm so grateful that instead of trying to go out and get a newer, nicer RV, <clears throat> we got a you know a 1994 rig that we bought cash, paid for out of savings. And we had you know just as much in savings that we paid for our rig that enabled us to go out for a year and figure out how we were going to be making money while traveling because we we did have to try out several different ways and we weren't really sure what that was going to look like. But if we had, you know, heightened our cost is trying to buy a nicer rig. It's just kind of a, I think it's a mind shift. So I, I would say if you're going into this thinking that you want to have this kind of lifestyle, it's probably also really important to not feel like you have to have the nicest things because it's more important to have that, that runway that enables you to do it long-term. Right. Because remember an RV is going to be a depreciating asset. So if you go and finance a brand new fancy RV, you're, it's going to be years before you can sell that RV. If the lifestyle doesn't work out for you or you discover that the um you know you need something different if you just hate the layout you're you're we know so many people who get trapped in their rvs literally and it's it's horrible because yeah, you're not gonna be able to sell it for several years without taking a huge loss and if you've got finance payments on it you're gonna be upside down and we see that happen so often as they go up people go out they buy their dream rv what they think they need and they get out there for in the first three months, they realize, wait a minute, I, I didn't think through how the bathroom worked or the kitchen worked. Or, you know, I, I don't have a comfortable space when I'm not when it's a rainy day and I'm not feeling well. I don't have anywhere that I feel like I can mm-hmm. just curl up and just be a ball of goo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you need those days. <laughs> I totally agree. The ball of goo days are my favorite. Tell me a little bit about the mobile Internet handbook. It's a huge need for RVers to stay connected, work on the road. But tell me a little bit about that book in general and how it's kind of evolved over time. All right. So um, obviously, because we were tech nomads, and um, I mean, mobile internet connectivity was the one thing that I had to have when I hit the road with Chris is I had to, I was a software developer. I was working for very large clients in the healthcare industry. I had to be connected. And in 2006, mobile internet was satellite or cellular or Wi-Fi hotspots. Yeah, it was, well, yeah, it was, it's gotten so, so much easier, but it was possible. Like to, right around then, 2006 was about the time that it started to 
begin to get easier. It didn't require crazy satellite systems and stuff to, to, so we kept, we we kept, we kept connected only by cellular back then. And so, you know, we, on our blog, it's our, it's our personal blog space. So, you know, a lot of our helpful articles came about from questions that we got so that we didn't have to keep answering them privately in email. So we would write articles about the latest uh, internet connectivity stuff that we were using, or we would just be mentioning in our blog post, how we got online from this amazing place. And uh, in 2013, um, I shut down the business that I ran uh, with my family. It was a family business, and my father passed away in 2013. And um, in order, because we're getting so many more questions on mobile internet, I just decided I needed to create one central blog post that went over everything that we had posted about mobile internet. <laughs> and when I was writing that blog post, it got to 30,000 words. And I, I, at that point, figured that's probably too long for a blog post. <laughs> Wow, that is an epically long blog <laughs> yeah. post. That would break the internet. So it turned into a book. So, so I decided, well, let's just publish this because we had the little uh, no excuses ebook out. I said, let's just do the same thing with it. We'll just put it into an ebook. We'll just you know put it out there for five, ten dollars or whatever, and you know people can download it, and it'll just it'll be a much more better resource for people, and it, mm -hmm. it won't be this long big blog post or things that people just read the parts where they need. Mm -hmm. Then we also were like, hey, you know, with just a few extra clicks, we can make this into a print-on-demand book, too, and have a printed version. Oh, let's see what the – But that we were, did. It was yeah. a little 86-page book. It was literally a handbook <laughs> then. So a year later, um, we in that year span, that's when we got brought in to launch our village. So once we, we got done with our village – we realized, oh, the book's a year old now. It's all completely out of date. We and people to... have loved it. And they loved it. And it sold like crazy. And um, so we just noticed, like, okay, we need to update it. But there's all these other chapters that we could write. There's all this other content. And it's probably going to take us, oh, gosh, two, three months to rewrite it. And we just, like, gave all this time to our village, basically, on an investment basis. We weren't paid all that much for it. And it's like, you know, we, we really need to start generating some cash now. And we, we either need to take a job or be things that produce income we can't really afford to take three months off and we can't afford to uh, hire graphics and an editor and all this yeah. other stuff so we did an indiegogo campaign to try to raise some funding it was basically pre-sale for the book where it's like this is what we're planning to write and if this inspires you here's a couple different tiers with extra perks and stuff and if we and we had different milestones. We get this milestone then we're going to write a chapter on this. We get this milestone we're going to write a chapter on this. We had defined like Six, stretch Six extra stre stretch chapters and stuff, including creating the online membership site and community. And we were blown away when every single one of our stretch goals got hit. And we're like, oh, now we're on the hook for writing this massive book. <laughs> <laughs> so it came out in late uh, in August or September of 2014. There's the new edition. We kept the name handbook, even though it was now 230 pages, I yes. think it was at the point. <laughs> And uh, and we also launched RV Mobile Internet to go along with it at the time to be a living companion to the book, knowing that how often things change is that we knew that we needed some some content that we could update throughout yeah, the to year. To cover the daily news or the weekly news. And, and so we started a news center and we also started a, a paid premium membership group out of that Indiegogo campaign. We had at least 100 people that signed up for that level. And so we had to create something. And uh, that's become now member forums. We do monthly live video chats to answer questions. We do alert newsletters to them. Yeah, and, and then special in-depth guides that are members only. Like we've got a guide for how to get unlimited data on Verizon and stuff like that that are member-only perks. And, uh, yeah, so now we update the book um, every single year, which we just completed the 2016 edition in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's now 243 pages. We just rewrote it um, after everything that we've learned in the last couple of years of helping people through this topic and just you know made it simpler and more accessible and uh, more of a reference guide. 
and continue building out RV Mobile Internet to be the living resource center that goes along with it. I love it. What are a few of the biggest, I don't want to say takeaways, but things that people are struggling with that you have, that you guys have come up with solutions for in the book? Um, Well, I guess one of the biggest lessons we try to drill on people is just how important it is to have different redundant ways to get online, to have different backup plans or like jump out of an airplane. You want to have a reserve parachute. You And I think one of the biggest things that we see, because we, we monitor a lot of different RVing forums and groups, and you'll see the question come up probably three times a day is, how do people get online while, while RVing? And, you know, and you'll, you'll have 20, 30 people rush in with their solution. And you have to step back and look at it. There are so many ways to get online while mobile, and it's so different than when you're stationary, is there is no one-size-fits-all solution. You have to really look at the combination of what your travel style is going to be, where you're traveling to, what sort of options are going to be accessible to you, and also what your needs are. It's How much a, data you need. It's very different for someone who's doing a lot of video work versus someone who is just needing to log in once or twice a day and keep connected with a remote office versus someone who just needs to check in on the news and their stocks and maybe route to their next destination. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you can't just go and ask people, how do you keep online? Because that's not, that's not a much bigger question. It's a much bigger question. And that's why it took 240 pages to, to give all the solutions and give the tips and tricks of how to figure out what it is you need to meet meet your personal uh, needs. So instead of asking people at the end of my podcast, how do you guys stay connected? I should just say, just go read the mobile handbook. Yeah, that's great. Cause that's how it keeps us connected now. <laughs> no, <laughs> but really it, it has for, you know, those of us that are working online, we typically need a lot of data um, to keep online, whether we're working 40 hours a week remotely or we're doing video work, or we just want to stream Netflix at night um, and having an unlimited data source is is key to that and a lot of people rush out it's like oh my gosh i saw where rv parks offer wi-fi and they think i'm just going to go live on park wi-fi yes that is one of the biggest misconceptions is 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 reasonably good fast reliable rv park wi-fi and i'm going to get it for free incredibly rare <laughs> particularly free and so and if i just get a wi-fi booster which is really in a wi-fi extender yeah. uh, on my roof i'm going to be able to get free wi-fi everywhere i go i'm going to be able to stream netflix homeschool my kids and do my online business. You may find a few RV parks out there that offer that sort of connectivity, but more often than not, it's not going to happen. There's a lot of people who end up disappointed. They spend a lot of money on Wi-Fi gear, and we're like, you actually would have been better off investing in um, a, a cellular booster and or a Verizon Unlimited plan and or you know all these other ways to optimize getting better cellular and more cellular data in the long run give you more faster, reliable data. Then you can go to cheaper RV parks. You, yes. Instead of paying, paying 30, 40 bucks a night to stay in RV resorts that offer free Wi-Fi, you can go out to state parks and uh, boondockings places that are cheaper nightly uh, costs that don't offer free Wi-Fi and uh, be online like we are right now. We're, we're doing this cast over our unlimited uh, Verizon plan. Um, From a state park in Texas. Yeah. Yes, and and yes, there is there are Verizon Unlimited data plans still available out there. You cannot get it as a new customer. You do have yeah, to kind of <laughs> there's there's tricks to get them. You can rent or lease a plan, or you can go buy a plan and take over the account and get unlimited Verizon data for as little as forty five dollars a month. 
for unlimited, truly unlimited data. And uh, that is one of the guides that we have in the member section of our resource center because it's something that changes on how to go about getting it almost on a weekly basis. And it's a very in-depth guide. I need to dig into that because I, I've talked to one too many people that have tackled that beast and we really need it bad with uploading video and things like that. So I'm definitely going to be reading into that guide. It, it makes all the difference in the world. Just taking that stress off of no worry about overage fees. <laughs> and then, yeah, and the, the Verizon Unlimited plan could be a great central point, but there are plenty of places where ver, there is no Verizon signal, or this happens more and more often now that there's more of us out here with our Verizon Unlimited plans, is a bunch of us get into one place, and we overload the tower, and there's not enough capacity to go around. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious, though. It is kind of hilarious. We, we, we create our own problem. <laughs> so... So yes, uh, having a second carrier, having a, an alternate way online is for people who rely on it. We we totally think that's a, a very important way to go. I know you guys have created a few different apps for our viewers. What apps do you guys use the most while you're on the road? Oh gosh, um, a, a lot of. I mean, for me, I use a lot of the campground finder apps. I love the U.S. public, the ultimate U.S. public campgrounds app, which lists mostly uh, Corps of Engineers, state parks, national parks, and boondocking mm-hmm. locations. And- I like Allstate's Camp and RV, and in particular because it has got so many of the in route things like, you know, here's a steep grade here or a low clearance spot. They don't as have well. those anymore. He took those out. He took those out? Yeah. They're, they're where, where have you been? He took those out? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> that was my favorite feature. Okay. I love that I had, had that right there with the campgrounds. I, okay. That was there last time I looked. Dang. I think I think I saw he took that out. Okay. That, no, Allstate's is still a great campground directory, but I guess he took out the low clearances and, yeah. and grades. Um. And the weather apps, keeping yeah. on top of the weather you know, so you can plan your routes ahead without having to worry about are you going into a tornado-stricken area, yeah. you know, and being able to delay a day or two behind at your location so that you have a better driving experience. Yeah. The, the apps that we've created, um, we created an app called Coverage that lets you create your own personal cell phone coverage map that combines the carriers that you carry. So you can say, I want a Verizon and AT&T map that only shows where there's LTE coverage because I don't care about we don't slower want to, speeds. We, we don't do roughing at camping and only do 3G. Yeah. You've got to have 4G. <laughs> and, and then this gives you a, a, a map on your phone that you can find which way do I have to drive to find better coverage. And it works without needing coverage to, to download the maps, which has been a really good app. And then another one is uh, U.S. Public Lands, which shows the land, the land boundaries for BLM and national forests and other uh, national land places, which is a tool that you can use in finding boondocking locations. I love it. Uh, where can people find out more about you guys? Uh, our personal website is kind of the central to it all is technomadia.com. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> um, we're on all those as Technomadia. And then for the internet, internet. stuff, um, rvmobileinternet.com is our site dedicated to exactly what the site says. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can find the mobile internet handbook on uh, Amazon and Kindle and iBooks and, and various places as well. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for your time. And we'll make sure and post all of these links and everything's on the show notes. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on the show with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's been a total pleasure. A pleasure. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can find the show notes for today's episode over at heathpaget.com forward slash episode nine. That's episode spelled out and then the number nine. And if you don't know how to spell my name, it's Heath, like the candy bar, P-A-D-G-E-T-T. All of the links that we mentioned in today's episode will be over there. So if you want, go check it out. And if you enjoyed the episode today with Technomadia or have any follow-up questions, shoot them a tweet and use the hashtag RVE podcast for the RV entrepreneur. And I will jump in on the conversation as well. would love to hear from you. 
Also, I'm going to beat this one into the ground. If you haven't already done so, I would love a review from you on iTunes. It's super easy and takes less than a minute. The reason why I ask in this episode and at the end of several of the other episodes is because every time someone leaves a review in iTunes, it tells Apple that people are listening to this podcast and it's being liked by people, which in turn ranks it higher in iTunes and allows more people to find it. I'm really lame and I check those reviews on a pretty much daily basis. So um, if you just want to indulge me, then that would be really awesome. And I just want to say thank you for everybody who has already left some reviews for the show. And if you're listening to this and don't know how to leave a review in iTunes, go to heathpadget.com forward slash episode nine, and I'll explain how in the bottom of the show notes. I'll see you guys next week.